Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Romans. We're starting a new sermon series in the book of Romans. And so we're going to read Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, we're going to be going through the whole book of Romans in this series. Uh, And again, I'm really excited about that because in Romans, uh, we have such a clear, beautiful, and powerful exposition uh, of the gospel. The the gospel is communicated with such clarity and such beauty in this letter by Paul. But if you've read Romans before, you'll also know that there are some parts that are uh, difficult to grasp. Sometimes it's hard to follow Paul's argument. uh, And so we can oftentimes get distracted uh, by some of these things and we can lose track of the main argument. So right off the bat, we wanna ask ourselves, uh, how should we think about Romans as a whole? If we understand the whole, then it'll help us uh, make sense of the parts, especially the confusing parts. So how do we think about Romans as a whole? Well, thankfully, Paul helps us with this. Oftentimes, Paul will begin and end an argument with the same themes or the same idea. He ties his argument together uh, very clearly in that way. Uh, And that's what he does in large passages, that's what he does in small passages, and he does this in the book of Romans. So, introduction to Romans. Paul says, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, 
which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, among all the nations. So a couple elements that Paul highlights right at the beginning of uh, his letter. Uh, He highlights that this good news was promised beforehand by God in the scriptures. It is now revealed to us in uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Through the the resurrection, Jesus was was declared to be son of God in power. Um, This happened to bring about the obedience of faith for the glory of God. Now, if you flip all the way, if you have your Bibles, you can just flip with me there. You flip to the end of Romans, chapter 16, very last paragraph. We see these same themes being highlighted. So Romans 16, verses 25 through 27. Paul writes, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So you guys have probably picked up on those similar themes. I have them listed off right here. We see in both cases, in both the opening statement of this letter and closing statement of this letter, that this gospel was promised in the scriptures. It is now, this is a mystery that has now been revealed in Jesus Christ in order to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name and for the glory of God. These are the basic essential elements of Paul's gospel, and this is what Romans is about. The heart of the Christian faith, the heart of Paul's gospel then, is not about behavior, it's not about ethnicity, it's not about politics, it's not about performance or prosperity. It is about God's commitment manifested in Jesus Christ. It is about God's promises that he made beforehand that have now been obtained by someone else, by his son, in order that we would trust to bring about the obedience of faith, the obedience that comes from faith. So then the obedience that counts is not the obedience that performs, but the obedience that trusts. What Romans makes so clear is that Christianity is about being all in on this gospel. Christianity is about being all in on the gospel. So let me ask you this right here. What are you holding back? Where are you holding back? 
What is difficult for you to trust God with? Where is it difficult for you to see that the gospel is enough? I'll just be honest with you right now. Like I can trust God with all sorts of things, but something that's difficult for me to trust God with, what I'm tempted to hold on to are things like financial security, right? The, the health and well-being of my children, right? I can trust God with all sorts of difficulties, but it's difficult for me to trust him with my security and my, my children's security, right? There's all sorts of pain in this life, but there's no pain quite like kid pain. So what are you holding on to? Is it a goal that you have in your career? Is it a relationship? Is it a feeling? What are you holding on to? What have you left off the table? The gospel is good news because it shows us that we can put all of our faith and all of our trust in the Lord, and he will not let us down. For as Romans so clearly shows us, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That's verse 17, right? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation. Verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. The way that Romans explains the gospel is in this phrase. The gospel is the righteousness of God being revealed. So the gospel then reveals something we already know, right? We already know that God is righteous. We already know that God is faithful, that he's consistent with his character. We already know that God is who he says he is. But the gospel reveals this truth to us with exponentially greater force and clarity uh, than we've ever seen before. Uh, I can compare it with, with this kind of experience. Um, you know, have you ever had an experience where something you knew to be true was revealed to you with greater clarity. Like you know something's true, but something happens and it really, like that truth really shines through. You really understand it now. So for example, I think this happens all the time. <clears throat> for example, before I moved to Okinawa, um, I, I knew that the F-35 was like a a modern marvel, just an incredible piece of engineering. Like I knew that, I knew some stats about the jet, but that truth is revealed to me with much greater clarity. I understand that in an entirely different way. When I see it up close, when I'm at the seawall and I see it flying into land, right, that truth is made so much clearer to me as I see it with my own eyes. Uh, as dads, I think we, <clears throat> we try to do something like this all the time. With our kids, we try to show our kids 
explain to our kids truths that they already know. Like every time we tell a dad joke, we're showing our kids something that they already know, right? That we're simple-minded, <laughs> right? Something like this. I had an experience like this not too long ago, a couple months ago. Um, I was walking to the beach with my family that, you know, this, there's this like seawall kind of area that's kind of close to our house. It's about a five-minute walk. It's about a five-minute walk with adults. It's about a 20-minute walk with kids. Um, so this is a picture of it. And um, so it's kind of like a seawall. It's, it's easier to walk on than like the, the jacks that you see at the seawall. So we're out on this thing. Um, and you got to be a little bit careful because even though you can see there's cement like covering these cracks, sometimes there are holes that you can step in um, and you want to avoid those. So we're out here and uh, hanging out, having a snack, and I see, all of a sudden, I see these fish start to jump out of the water. And they start jumping out of the water at the far end, and they're making their way towards us. So you can tell that something large is chasing these fish along the shore. And immediately I think to myself, man, I'm gonna show my kids how cool of a dad I am, how fun of a dad I am. I'm gonna go catch a fish with my bare hands. So immediately, I sprint to the water, and I grab a fish. It's like the size of my hand. I was like, wow, I can't believe I actually did that. <laughs> but on my way there, I stepped into a hole and uh, tore up my ankle a little bit. I was bleeding all over the place, and I couldn't wear shoes comfortably for a couple weeks, but it was definitely worth it. <laughs> I, I bring the fish back to show my kids. I thought they would get a kick out of it. And I'm like, hey, kids, look, look at what dad got. And they just look at me with a blank stare. And my oldest goes, can you get another one? <laughs> I'm like, I just caught a fish with my bare hands. Like, aren't I a fun dad? See, I was trying to show them something that they already knew. I was trying to demonstrate something that they already knew. Right? Their dad's fun. Right? You, could, you could see it in their response. Right? They just expected it. <laughs> Church, the gospel reveals something that we already know to be true about God. The gospel reveals this with such force and clarity that it removes any shadow of a doubt that we can trust him with all that we are. And that truth it reveals about God is that he is righteous. And here's where we get to our main idea. Really simple. The gospel is the power of God for salvation because in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed. And you see what I did there? I just basically took verses 16 and 17 and rephrased them. Three points. One, we'll look at the gospel. Two, how it's the power of God for salvation. And three, that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So very simple outline. Let's continue with point number one. 
All right, so we're in verses one through five. And again, we see that the basic elements of Paul's gospel here. We see that this good news consists of promises made by a God who is in control of history, right? God had planned these things beforehand and he has now brought them about in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So these are promises made by a God who is sovereign and in control. And these promises concern his son. Verse three, concerning his son. So the first thing we need to understand about the gospel, about the good news that Paul is giving to us here, is that it concerns the identity of God's son. All right, it doesn't concern us and what we want and how great we think we are. It concerns the identity of God's son. And Paul, in a very concise way, tells us exactly who this son is. So in verse 3, we see that this son was descended from David according to the flesh. All right, this parallels the phrase in verse 4. And he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit. So according to the flesh, he was the descendant of David. And according to the Spirit, he was declared to be son of God in power. So this son took on a real human nature, lived a real human life. He was really descended from David, and he was revealed to be the Messiah, the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit, by his resurrection. When Paul is talking about the gospel concerning God's Son, this is who he is talking about the one who was born into the line of David, who lived, suffered, and died to save us from our sins and was revealed to be king and savior by his resurrection. This is who Paul is talking about. And in case you forgot, he, re- he repeats it right at the end of verse four. Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is who Paul is talking about. This is who the gospel concerns. This is who God's son is. Jesus Christ, our Lord. The gospel stands or falls with the identity of Jesus Christ. So church, what that means is that we cannot make Jesus into something he he was not. We have no place, we have no right to define him, who he is and what he did. The good news of the gospel stands or falls with Jesus, the Jesus revealed to us in the scriptures. So a gospel where Jesus is anything other than who Paul describes right here is absolutely unacceptable. A Jesus who is merely a good teacher, merely a moral example, a prophet, a sage, that is unacceptable. 
Muslims and Mormons will take a Jesus who is just a prophet. Buddhists and atheists will take Jesus, the good moral example. But that is not the Jesus of the scriptures. That is not the Jesus of history. That is not the Jesus who saves. And unfortunately, we see this kind of thing all the time in the world throughout history and today, that people are trying to create Jesus into an image of their own liking. Right now, the, the Jesus that's very popular is the Jesus who, like, looks the other way at sin, the Jesus that affirms us in our sinful behavior. But Jesus came to, not to affirm us in our sins, he came to save us from our sins. He came as the revelation of God's righteousness. That is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. This brings us to point number two. I'll be really quick with this point. It's really simple. Uh, In verses eight through 15, Paul explains, you read through this, he explains his desire to come to Rome, why he wants to come to Rome. And uh, two, two things really inform Paul's desire. There's, there's two things that define his ministry to the Romans. One, he wants to reap a harvest among them. In verse 13, he wants to reap some harvest among them. Right, that means he wants to evangelize. He wants to preach the gospel and make converts. And number two, he wants to strengthen the Roman church. Actually, he says, I wish to impart some spiritual gift to you to strengthen you. That is, we we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So he wants to strengthen the church, and he wants to reap a harvest uh, among the Romans. In verse 15, we see he's very eager to do this. Why? Why is he eager to do this? Why is he not ashamed to do this? Verse 16, because... The gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. All right, this last phrase is what Paul's ministry goals are rooted in. All right, he wants to, to reap a harvest among the Romans and he wants to strengthen the Romans because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So really simply, guys, um, oftentimes we can think of the gospel of like that this, the gospel is like uh, something we believe in at, at one point and then we gain access into God's kingdom, right? The gospel is not only the power to get us into God's kingdom, it's the power to strengthen. It's the power to keep us there, All right? We don't move beyond the gospel Right? The significance of the gospel does not diminish after we are converted. No, the gospel is always the power of God for our salvation. It is the power to harvest and the power to strengthen. So if you are here today and you have not placed your trust in Jesus Christ, know that he is the only one in whom salvation is can be found. 
Jesus is the only place where we can truly find rest for our weary and broken souls. Jesus is the power of God for salvation because in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed. And if you're here today and you already believe in Jesus Christ, you trust in his word, you go to church, you try to live in accord with his his commandments, know that the strength that you need and you long for is found in the gospel. It's found in trusting in the gospel, not in trusting your abilities or your circumstances or your behavior. No, the strength that you need for this life of faith is found in something beyond you. It is found in something greater than you. It is found in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, the righteousness of God is revealed. All right, last point. Verses 16 and 17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Right, this is the climax of Paul's opening argument. Or you follow his connecting words and his line of thought. It all ends here. Right, this is like his thesis statement. Verse 15, we see Paul describe his ministry to the Romans. In verse 16, he says he's not ashamed. Why is he not ashamed? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Why is the gospel the power of God for salvation? Again, because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So Paul's life, his calling, his ministry, his confidence, and his salvation depend on God's righteousness. And as we'll see in the book of Romans... Uh, when Romans speaks of God's righteousness, it, uh, there are two ways that Romans uses this word. One way Romans refers to the righteousness of God is uh, in the gift of righteousness that God gives us. All right, so when Paul speaks of righteousness in the book of Romans, in many places he's speaking of the gift of righteousness to us who believe in him. Another way that Romans speaks of righteousness uh, is in referring to the character of God, right? For God to be righteous simply means that God is who he says he is, right? So Romans speaks of the character of God, and it speaks of the gift of God's righteousness. And, And throughout this letter, we will unpack this in much greater detail, because Paul gets at this very clearly. Now, an unfortunate thing I think we see in uh, American 
in the American evangelical church is that oftentimes we think of the gospel strictly in terms of me and my salvation. Like the gospel is how I get out of hell and get into heaven, right? We can think of it very individualistically. We think about the gospel being about how Jesus loved me and redeemed me and brings me into his kingdom. So uh, my tendency is to think about the gospel as God's grace for me. And the gospel is certainly not less than that. All those things are true. And, and Paul talks about those things with a great deal of clarity in, in chapter 3 and chapter 4. But the gospel is definitely more than just that. It is more than me and my salvation. There is more going on here. And we see this especially at the end of verse 17. At the end of verse 17, Paul quotes Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And uh, it's great that the, the next women's Bible study is in the book of Habakkuk. So all the ladies, probably you've read this book multiple times at this point, and you know exactly what's going on here. At least that's what I'll tell myself, all right? Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4. And Habakkuk, since we probably don't know much about Habakkuk, Habakkuk is the guy who asks questions of God that you didn't know you could ask God. He asks very raw and honest questions. So let's just turn to Habakkuk chapter 1 and take a look at what I'm talking about. So Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Here is Habakkuk's question to the Lord. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? How long, O Lord, until you judge the earth in righteousness? That is Habakkuk's question. And I'm willing to bet that every single one of us has asked that question, maybe not out loud, but in our hearts. How long, O Lord, until you show up for me and show yourself to be the God that you say you are? How long, O oh Lord? Well, in chapter 2, God gives an answer. So chapter 2, starting in verse 2. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. 
This is the expectation of deliverance. Verse four, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Why does Paul quote that? Is it because this is a random Old Testament verse that sounds like justification by faith? No, Paul quotes this because he believes the gospel is the answer to Habakkuk's question. How long, O Lord, until you show yourself to be the God that you say you are? In the gospel, God so clearly reveals that he is exactly who he says he is. That is what the righteousness of God means in this context, that he is the God who he says he is. You know, I had us think about examples of of times where, you know, something we know to be true is revealed to us with greater clarity. Well, that that kind of question makes me think about uh, my dad. So when I was a kid, I always knew my dad was an athlete. He could dunk a basketball, easily dunk a basketball, and that's hard for someone of my height, okay? I've, seriously, I've spent training blocks. I've spent months training, working on my vertical to try and dunk a basketball, and I've managed to dunk a tennis ball, all right? Um, that's nothing compared to dunking a basketball in play. Uh, my dad, at least for a time, he held the a record at his high school for the high jump. So I've always known that he was an athlete, like a legitimate athlete. I'm like a pretend athlete. Uh, he's a real athlete. And there was a time where this athleticism was demonstrated to me with, with greater clarity. We're actually here on the island of Okinawa. Uh, I was in like the fifth grade, something like that, and we were out snorkeling. And um, I was a good swimmer. You know, I could do that thing where you hold your breath underwater in the pool. And, and so we're out snorkeling, and we're doing this thing where we're, like, going under. It's, like, about 15, 16 feet deep. We're going under the water and just, like, checking out what's on the bottom. All right, just seeing what's around, looking at the reef. And at some point, my dad says, Vince, just grab onto my back. And uh, we take off down into the water, and I can tell you, I, I have not ever moved that fast underwater. Like I tried this with my own kids to like drag them around the pool. It's, it's hard. Uh, but I was moving at a speed that I had not moved before. And I thought I was a pretty good swimmer. And so we're just cruising around the reef. We come back up. And I thought to myself, wow, that was, that was fun. And what do I say? Let's do it again. And what does he do? We do it again. Same thing. Right? That moment demonstrated something that I already knew to be true. It put on display what I already knew to be true. That is the gospel. God demonstrating his righteousness. 
the fact that he is who he says he is and he will be who he says he will be. The gospel is the moment where God demonstrates his commitment to what he has spoken. Again, his commitment to be the God who he says he is. Church, the gospel is not about me. It's not about you. It's not about what we want and how we might be able to make our lives better. It's not about my feelings or my wealth or anything like that. And that is a good thing because it is about God. The fact that he is righteous. That he is the God who he says he is. And that is good news. Because the power of salvation does not depend on a God who we move to compassion with our faith or our good works. No, the power of salvation depends on a God who's exactly who he says he is. A God who is righteous. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you, we thank you, and we are in awe of you. We are amazed by you and your commitment to us to show up for us when we need you, when it counts, Lord. So we thank you for your great kindness, for your great love, and most of all, God, we thank you for being who you are. You are wonderful. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.